Hello, and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries Podcast. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa, Volume 14, Episode 19, Can Die Its Cure. Doctors of chiropractic and student initiates, welcome back, and thank you for joining me. Over the last two episodes, we have been focusing a lot on the serous circulation and the four classifications of poison. Students learned the importance of serum quantity and quality and its effects on delivering nutrition to tissue cells. In today's episode, we're going to change our focus just a bit and cover a few topics that are very practical in your practice. When you hear the word diet, what are some thoughts that come to mind? Well, if you're like most, you probably thought about last year's New Year resolution to start dieting and maybe shed some weight. Or if you're at the grocery store checkout lane, you likely saw the various health magazines claiming the next great diet cure for such chronic conditions as thyroid problems all the way to inflammatory bowel disease. So, is there any truth in diets curing disease, or is this just another clever advertising to sell more magazines? The truth lies somewhere between, and today we're going to see what Dr. B.J. Palmer had to say on this matter. Webster's Dictionary defines a diet as a course of food selected with reference to a particular state of health prescribed allowance of food, regimen prescribed. <clears throat> this statement implies that there is something wrong with the current state of health, which is why normal food intake has to be manipulated into a preset regimen. In other words, a diet can be used as a treatment for certain medical diseases, however, has no effect on chiropractic dis-ease. Let's explore this principle and see if we can find a practical truth. A patient has a subluxation, paralyzing the muscular walls of the intestines and causing a condition of acute constipation. A common diet to treat constipation is to decrease or eliminate meat while increasing fiber intake from fruits and vegetables. So the patient begins this diet and notices an improvement in bowel elimination. The patient gets excited, feels cured, and then goes back to eating as they did before they were constipated. Soon, the symptom of constipation returns and the patient is back to square one. What's the principle here? Well, when you treat symptoms, even with natural methods, they only show improvements as long as treatment continues. So this case of acute constipation will gradually develop into chronic constipation if the cause is not adjusted. With dieting to treat disease, the patient's condition is merely pampered. So is using diet, albeit natural, to treat disease 
something that a chiropractor should recommend to a patient. Let's see what B.J. Palmer had to say. Innate intelligence knows every need a tissue cell has for it to be healthy. Innate perfectly balances the ratio between acids and bases. Innate perfectly balances serum quantity and quality to serve the nutritional needs of tissue cells. Innate even perfectly absorbs the nutrients through the process of digestion. With innate in perfect control, please direct your educated intelligence to perform their previously mentioned functions. Go ahead, I can wait. Our educated brain cannot do what innate does because the innate is the educated is limited in function. However, innate knows everything within its material body and how to maintain its internal environment down to the inner workings of each individual tissue cell. Educated gets to enjoy the meal. Innate must work to digest, assimilate, and then eliminate that meal. To diet is to say you know exactly what tissue cells need in exacting quantity and quality. Who knows such minute details? It isn't the medical doctor who treats disease. It isn't even the chiropractor who adjusts the cause of dis-ease. Who knows these minute details of nutritional quantity and quality? The answer is principle 20 of the, chiropract of the 33 chiropractic principles. BJ would say to listen to your innate to determine the proper quantity and quality of food. Well, how do you listen to innate? I don't know about the rest of you, but my innate surely doesn't speak English. Innate speaks through the functions of its material body. When we're hungry, innate tells us by causing hunger pains. When we've had our fill, innate tells us by causing a fullness sensation. When we have a specific craving, innate is telling us that tissue cells are in need of something from the food that is craved. Well, all this sounds good in theory and makes logical sense, but how can we then explain conditions of morbid obesity and anorexia? In the case of morbid obesity, why has an innate gotten its fill and is causing an overload of food intake? And in the case of anorexia, why is innate starving tissue cells of proper nutrition? Principle 25 states that innate is never injurious to the material body. Innate is all about maintaining life and will do anything to accomplish this purpose. So, with innate off the hook, who is really to blame? Not who, actually, but what? A subluxation interferes with innate's ability to maintain the status quo for tissue cell health. A subluxation affects both brain and body health. The educated brain cannot function normally, and as a result, cannot make healthy decisions. 
while the cases of morbid obesity and anorexia present themselves differently in symptoms, the cause remains the same, a vertebral subluxation. I had a patient once who came to me with chronic low back pain and sciatica. As I was doing the consultation, she began to talk about her overweight condition and how all of her medical doctors believed that it was the weight which was causing her chronic pain. When I had asked her about this, she said that she could not control the urge of how much she eats and would continue filling up with food until she felt sick in her stomach. On top of all this, she was also a type 1 diabetic using insulin. I really had my job job cut out for me on this one, as I wasn't 100% certain if I could help her. After her exam and x-rays, I found an atlas subluxation. I adjusted that subluxation, and what happened over the next 12 weeks of care completely caught me by surprise. After the first four weeks and one adjustment only, she told me that her hand had felt, her head had felt clearer than it had in decades. When I asked exactly what she meant, she said that she could now think better and make better decisions. This decreased her desire to constantly eat such large quantities of food so much that she had lost 14 pounds. What more, her A1C dropped from 6.8 down to 5.9. After the second four weeks of care, she was feeling so much better mentally that she began to motivate herself to go jogging every day for 20 minutes. She continued to lose weight, shedding another 11 pounds that month. After three months of chiropractic care and two Atlas adjustments, She looked and felt like a new woman. She was thinking clearly, had an upbeat, positive attitude about life, whereas before, she described herself as being depressed and living in a brain fog. She had lost a total of 32 pounds and was now even getting more active. Her A1C went from 6.8 to 5.9 and then down to 5.4. Her internist even decreased her insulin dosage by 50%. Oh yeah, and her chronic low back pain and sciatica cleared up. The principle here, adjust the cause and restore innate within. Innate can what the educated cannot. All things possible when a subluxation is absent. When we return, we'll begin our reading. We now begin our reading from volume 14, page 125. Article 172. Some things innates have said about poisons. Medicine is a poison, for it is substance that innate does not prepare for use in the body. If innate accepts such a substance, showing no contempt, 
It is a food, even though it masquerades under the name of medicine. We mention this because it is a favorable argumentative point of the pro-medical or anti-chiropractic people who seek to cloud the truth by starting the unwary chiropractor out on a false premise. Medicine is a substance given to stimulate or inhibit. Substances which stimulate or inhibit are substances which educated knows because innate recorded it, which, when given in larger doses, will kill. <clears throat> substances which stimulate or inhibit are certainly chemicals with a kick. They would be pretty poor medicines if they did not have. Do MDs give inert, innocuous substances, except for psychological reasons, to their patients? They use minute quantities of powerful drugs. They search the forests for potent alkalines, manufacture powerful acids, grow plants for strong chemicals, and have hunters searching the jungles for the venom of tropical serpents. Some things that educated calls foods are sometimes poison. Some things that are good for one person may be poison to another. Some things may be food for a person and poison to the same person at another time. Anything made or prepared artificially and then introduced into the body against which innate rebels is a poison. Foods, air, and water, when they have been doctored, are poisons. Article 173. Food. Food is any substance ingested into the body, which when digested and otherwise prepared furnishes wholesome nutrition to the tissue cells. The necessary elements are demanded by innate and made known cons consciously by normal hunger, thirst, and desire. Given the demanded materials, innate will make any combination she desires for metabolism. Given the wrong materials, she will reject them, or if they are unsatisfactory, but not poison, she will make the best of the circumstances. Denied much needed element. Denied much needed elements, she will economize on what she has somewhere in the body. But if such a state of affairs exists chronically, some tissues will become unsound. <clears throat> Given too much food, usually because of educated fallacy, innate will overwork the excretory organs in excreting and overstore tissue cells in order to dispose of it. In any event, what innate really needs cannot be regulated educationally in either quantity or quality. The chiropractic standard of guidance in nutrition is to obey innate's desires and restraints. The person who incorrectly interprets these desires and restraints is technically a sick person and is in danger from his educated. Article 174. Diet. Dieting, as commonly understood, is not chiropractic. Dieting is an educated attempt to regulate innate or to regulate something against the wishes of innate. A course of living or nourishment, also what is eaten or drunk habitually, 
food, victuals, fare. A course of food selected with reference to a particular state of health. Prescribed allowance of food, regimen prescribed. From these definitions, we learn that dieting is a course of living or nourishment. A course of food selected with reference to a particular state of health. Prescribed allowance of food, regimen prescribed. We judge from these statements that there is something wrong with the state of health, else such attempts would not be made. If it is done to cure dis-ease, it will be unsuccessful, for the cause of dis-ease is always in the spine. Prescription is a medical procedure, not chiropractic. To attempt to cure a dis-ease by a prescribed allowance of food is treating effects and not removing the cause. It may alleviate and does, and to that, chiropractic has no objection. But in that case, the cause still remains. To pamper a weakness is to sidestep the cause. Why not meet the issue squarely and remove the cause? Then the patient can feel perfectly at ease in eating normal quantities of normal food according to the dictates of normal hunger and thirst. When dieting is done with the idea of curing dis-ease or as an arbitrary attempt to regulate the intellectual process of metabolism, it is acting contrary to every fundamental principle of chiropractic. A person who lives a simple life does not know how to do such things, much less think about them. Chiropractic is decidedly opposed to dieting, as studied in that light. The reader and student is cautioned not to come to a conclusion about the over-radical chiropractic ideas until he has read and studied further. Article 175. Common Sense, the Chiropractic Idea of Dieting. If the body is given the elements that innate requires and in the quantities that she requires, and makes known that need by normal hunger or thirst, she can manufacture any combination needed. Educated should not presume to determine the calories or determine which elements innate should use. People with abnormal hunger or other abnormal desires are technically sick people. People with habitually abnormal appetites are victims of habit and are practicing a form of intemperance not at all the expression of innate intelligence. When dieting is done to offset or alleviate an adverse condition in living brought on by civilization, an adverse state of affairs brought on by unwise precedents or human grooves of life, then dieting is not a battle between morbid educated mind and innate but between morbid educated and wise educated. Educated versus educated. Dog eat dog. In the latter case, chiropractic approves, for it is not truly diet, but the coordination of a normal educated mind with innate. Therefore, nutritional hygiene is not dieting, but common sense. It is simply the restoration of normal and natural environmental conditions. The restoration to normal 
of conditions made abnormal by unwise educational living. Restoration brought about by a wise, sane, and normal educated mind, coordinating with innate mind as it should be, is nutritional hygiene. With this aspect of dieting, chiropractic agrees. Consider diet in the light of common sense. A sick person's abnormal educated mind will not allow him to use common sense. Therefore, somebody else's common sense must be used. Article 176. The Fallacy of Trying to Regulate Innate Intelligence. Innate intelligence, the builder and warden of the body, with her infinite knowledge, knows her own mind, knows what should be introduced into the body, both immaterial and material. There is no educated mind, with only its finite gatherings of a lifetime, able to decide for an innate intelligence what is good for the body. This applies to forces and to matter. Innate makes known the needs for material by normal hunger and thirst. For the immaterial, by desire for movement or mental exercise, which desire might be called a kind of hunger. The nourishment of the body should be governed by innate intelligence, with the cooperation of the educated mind. The educated mind should serve as a cooperative function and not as a hindrance to innate mind in the selection of food for the body. No normal educated mind will try to oppose innate mind. When educated mind interferes with innate mind, it is abnormal. If it is abnormal, it is because of interference with transmission, and the educated brain cells are slightly unsound. Consequently, instead of working in harmony with innate intelligence, it hinders in the efficiency of body operation as any unsound organ would do. Foods and waters introduced into the body when not needed are poisons. Foods and water denied the body when the need is made known normally is an insult to innate and results in injury later, if not immediately. Sterilized air and water and artificially prepared foods are poisons for they are not natural. Innate evolutionary structures are unacquainted with them as foods. Considered as medicines, they alleviate and sidestep, but they pamper the chemical abnormalities of the body so that this weakness grows worse in exactly the same manner that a drug habit grows worse. If one craves apples, one should eat apples, if they can be obtained. The function of educated mind is to obtain them, not to deny them. If one normally craves meat, educated should supply it and not deny it, because a misguided dietitian has ruled it out. The study of the human body shows that human beings are omnivorous. They should have both meat and vegetable foods. The teeth of carnivora are covered with enamel and they have fangs. The teeth of herbivorous animals are laminated and grow outward from the roots as they are worn off by use. 
The teeth of human beings, as omnivorous animals, are covered with enamel, and the human being also has fangs for the purpose of rending meat. Herbaceous foods require more grinding and chewing than meat foods and more process of digestion. The human being does not chew the cud, nor is he provided with a series of stomachs, powerful laboratories with the action of powerful chemicals, as herbivorous animals are. But man has the digestive equipment to use both classes of foods. The glands should secrete, if artificial foods make this unnecessary. The glands suffer from lack of use. The stomach is a muscular working organ. Take its job away from it by pre-digested foods, and the stomach gets lazy and weak. The bowels lose their peristaltic strength through the use of cathartics and pills. Thus, the pill habit is formed. Chiropractic is only urging the natural, but so unnatural has civilization made people that the natural is greeted as something strange and radical. If one takes the trouble to look into the question, it is easy to see that the natural foods of the human race are the foods upon which, for countless hundreds of years, the race developed. This great natural trend cannot be changed arbitrarily by dietitians in the space of a few years without disaster to human beings. A few theorists have declared that there will be a time when a full meal will be concentrated to the size of a pill and point out how convenient it will be to nourish the body and to do it without the loss of time, a boon to the businessman etc. It will be a sad day when the human race gets to the point where they have no time to eat naturally. The point we wish to emphasize is that chiropractic is not a propaganda for a new method of dieting, but is a return to the old, a restoration of the natural. The digestive organs are made to do a certain amount of work. Let them do it. As a muscle is strengthened by exercise, so are the digestive organs. The teeth are designed to rend and grind. They should be used for that purpose. It makes them stronger and better. Chiropractic has nothing to say against dieting as a means of making fat people lean and thin people fat, except to say that it is not chiropractic. And if people want to make sacrifices of that kind, it is more a science of martyrdom to fashion than it is a science of healing. If a person wants to insult his innate and injure his tissues for the sake of an educated ideal, mode, or fashion, it's his sacrifice. Chiropractic holds that it would be better in every way, to eat the normal amounts and qualities of foods with the normal amounts of exercise. <clears throat> to be as thin as innate wants you to be, reduce the amount of food to normal and step up the amount of exercise to the normal and natural amount. In this way, the body will be made as innate wants it to be. Unfortunately for the vein, this does not always suit the gods of mode. 
Some people are naturally fleshy and feel better in that condition, of course. For some people, to forcibly make themselves thin by dieting is injurious. Some people are naturally thin and feel better that way. To drive themselves to a course of nourishment to get fat only poisons their systems. Article 177. Exercise. Exercise is the natural and normal amount of movement of the body and its parts to obtain the normal amount of adaptation that is due to every part of it. Natural demand in order to obtain the normal supply of adaptation. If exercise conforms to the above definition, chiropractic is strong for it. Any part of the body, whether muscles or any other part, requires a certain amount of movement daily in order that it gets its share of survival value. Natural exercise obtains a natural and beneficial tiredness. Unnatural or over-exercise produces a fatigue or exhaustion, which is not beneficial. Exercises calculated to develop or reduce parts of the body are beneficial, if not driven to excess. If this is overdone, it produces abnormally developed organs, and that is not beneficial. Athletes' bodies are very abnormally developed, and sometimes it reaches the state of pathology. Outdoor exercise is much better than indoor, for one gets fresh air while doing it, and sunlight, which is very necessary to the human organism. The even and natural bodily development by exercise, natural exercise, is what chiropractic favors. Again, we point out that this should be restoration of natural environment by educated, of that which educated has taken away. Article 178, Hygiene. Hygiene, chiropractically, is the restoration of natural and healthful environmental conditions, which have been made abnormal by the necessities of civilized life. In many instances where it is impossible to restore natural conditions, compensation must be made. Civilization is the sacrifices that individuals must make in the matter of personal likes and dislikes, and even of necessities, in order to have community living, to avoid infringing upon the rights of others, to give service and coordination. The student is not to think by this that we mean that to have a perfectly natural environment for the body, we must restore jungle conditions, and that we must live like Tarzan of the apes. We mean that we aim to give the body properly balanced foods, suitable for omnivorous animals, fresh air, suitable light, and sanitary surroundings. All of these things one can have without living like Tarzan, in fact, can be much more hygienic and sanitary than that fictitious character could possibly be. We do not mean that the cooking of food is an unnatural preparation, but we do mean that the foods over-prepared lose natural food values. We do not mean that clean water is unnatural, 
but that water with injurious chemicals in it to sterilize it is unnatural. Also, distilled water is not a fit beverage. We need to realize that civilized life imposes conditions that are not healthful unless compensated for. Long hours of unnatural living because of industries, improper food, lack of sunshine, and fresh air for economic reasons. Necessary inhibitions for decency are all factors that deprive us of natural living. There must be restoration, or at least compensation, so far as possible to make up for this. The writer is not belittling civilization. It is necessary, of course, if people are to live in tribes, communities, etc. It is necessary, though, to realize what natural, naturalness civilization takes away. Civilization will, ha- will have to restore if the human race is to be well. We are obliged to make a normal use of our educated minds to get out of or to compensate for the abnormal difficulties that our educated minds got us into. Civilization is necessary. And as civilized beings, we must make sacrifices of many personal comforts and likes and even needs to avoid infringing upon the rights of others. That is the real meaning of civilization. A strawberry by itself may be plump and luscious looking, but put into a basket with others, it becomes squeezed and out of shape. Too bad, but necessary. However, as human beings being equipped with the most competent organs of environmental adaptation of any living creatures, we are fully able if we will, to compensate for what we lose in naturalness by educationally restoring naturalness. The restoration of natural conditions as far as possible in the midst of civilized circumstances is the meaning of the word hygiene in chiropractic. Article 179, The Poisons of Environment. Abnormal or extremely adverse environmental conditions for the human body are important in the study of the cause of dis-ease. They affect the health by making normal adaptation more difficult, if not impossible. They are not considered the cause of dis-ease, or even secondary causes, but they further limit the limitations of matter. Poor environmental conditions can affect the health by making adaptation very difficult, especially if one is not acclimated to those conditions. If subluxations exist, and in most people they do, especially those affecting the eliminating organs, the effect is still worse. Some environmental conditions would poison a healthy person as very unsanitary surroundings. Some environments are downright impossible. If there are subluxations causing poor elimination, the adverse conditions act more readily upon the tissue cells, there being some accumulative, destructive survival values already. Even if there are not such subluxations, the bad environment may call for more adaptation than a body can afford. In our studies of environmental poisoning, 
the serous circulation is the main factor in the consideration of indirect effects. Environmental poisoning is made possible because of necessity or carelessness or ignorance. Normal educated mind usually receives warning and innate knows there is danger. However, warnings are frequently disregarded for the foregoing reasons. Perhaps necessity or economic reasons are the most numerous. Office work, factory employment, property in or near a swamp, poverty in a tenement. All these are difficult to overcome. They exist nevertheless, and in such, troubles lurk. The utterly impossible conditions mentioned are water, extreme heat, and poisonous gases in which the human body cannot live, no matter how perfect the transmission of mental impulses. The possibilities of environmental poisoning are impure water, air, food, bad climate, poor sanitation, poor hygiene, personal and environmental, effluvia, and germs. Article 180. Water as an environmental factor. Water may poison a body of lowered resistance when it is impure, impregnated with injurious minerals, stagnant, charged with poisonous gases, etc. Pure water for human consumption contains none of these, but may have a harmless and normal amount of minerals and germs. Impure water may contain putrid matter, poisonous gases, or other matters, harmful materials which, when introduced into the body, poison the serous circulation. External application of such water may poison the skin. If stagnant, it pollutes the air. Water charged with ex excess mineral or minerals injurious to the body is apt to irritate the bowels. Innate warns educated mind by smell, taste, and sight, and depends upon educational adaptation for safety. Article 181. Food as an environmental factor. Abnormal food may poison a body of lowered resistance when it is impure or contains impurities, as poisonous chemicals in it, poisonous gases, has changed chemically, decomposed, etc. Pure food for human consumption must be free from any of these impurities. If food contains chemicals or gases that cannot be used in metabolism, these foreign substances, not the food, are poison. Of course, such food is unfit for use. If what was once a good food undergoes a chemical change, it is no longer the substance that it was when educationally named a food. Fermentation is a good example of this. If what was once a good food decomposes or partly decomposes, it is unfit for us it is unfit for use as a food. For the human economy uses organic matter for food mostly. It is first raised in the scale by organisms, which of course lose their lives in order that the human organism may live. This is true of both vegetable and animal life. A little thought will show us how true this is. 
If we could live by using the inorganic foods, we could exist like a tree or a cabbage. Although we move in an ocean of protein, we must buy it at so much per pound at the butcher shop or at the grocer's. The organic food must be in a clean state because the human body is not prepared to use decomposed matter in, in metabolism. If compelled to eat it from necessity, poisoning is likely to take place. Races of people who, from necessity, like the Digger Indians or the Terra del Fuegans, are obliged to use decomposed food, show the effects of such food in their inferior physique and low mentality. It requires entirely too much adaptation for the human mechanism to raise the grade of these foods. Therefore, poisoning of the serous circulation occurs. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. This has been the Green Book Commentaries Podcast.